March 7th, 1991. I was in the eighth grade in Miami, Florida, watching the video of Rodney King being beaten by the police unjustly. He later coined the phrase, can't we all just get along? At that time, I didn't really understand what racial profiling was and never thought that it would ever happen to me. Now you fast forward about 18 years, December 2009. A couple of months before my wedding, which was to take place on Valentine's Day 2010. I was driving home from church with my sister, who was in town to rehearse her special music for my upcoming wedding, when we saw a police car following us. At first, I thought nothing of it. But then I turned left, he turned left. I turned right, he turned right. And then we came to the street where my parents live, and they lived on a dead-end street. So I told my sister, Marlene, if this cop makes his last left turn on the dead-end street, he really is following us. And so I made that left turn into the dead-end street, and lo and behold, he turned left as well. And then I got to my parents' driveway. Habitually, I park in reverse because when it's time to leave, I want to drive straight out. And so I did the same thing. I parked in reverse. And by the time I could turn off the ignition, this police officer parked in front of me, drew his gun, and pointed it to my face, and he said, put your hands on the wheel. Being a black man, I said, I will definitely do what is said, so I slowly put my two hands on the steering wheel. Within 30 seconds, five police cars came to my mom's and dad's abode. And then one of the other cops came, and he said, slowly put your arms out the window. And then he began to take me out the car. And he put handcuffs on me. And he put them so tight. And then he was putting his forearm on my back up, up against my own car. And I could hear my sister shouting to the cops, he's a pastor. My brother is a pastor. I could hear the fear in her voice as she was saying that. And so now how, how my body now was being thrust against the car with my two hands in handcuffs, tight as can be, and the cop's forearm on my back, all I could say to the cop was, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. He didn't care. He just did what he had to do. And after about two minutes, which felt like an eternity, uh, the, the first cop who initially came, I guess the headquarters was talking to him through his little uh, speaker thing he has on, 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 on his shoulder, and they said, you have the wrong guy. So he told all the other cops, hey, we got the wrong guy. So the guy, the cop who put handcuffs on me, took him off. 
No apologies were said to me. And I looked at them, and I went back into their cars, and the main cop said to me, the reason why I pulled my gun on you, I thought you were trying to escape. And I tell you, this is what happened to me. And uh, I just was thankful that nothing worse happened. Two months away from my wedding, it was Christmas season, and it could have been my death in my mom and dad's driveway. Let the words I then realized, I then realized what the term meant, driving while black. I thank God nothing more happened that day. I certainly felt that even though I was doing nothing wrong, there were people. Please hold that music. Please hold the music. Please hold the music. I certainly felt that even though I was doing nothing wrong, there were people out there. who just judge me unjustly. Likewise, there was a man named Daniel who was a man of God doing what he normally did. However, there were some people who judged him unjustly and ultimately caused him to spend a night in the den. At this moment in time, I ask you to please pause for a word of prayer and song. Lord God, I believe, uh, I thank you for this time in church that we're about to start this message. I pray that you would be with us as we open your word and we can understand what your word has to say. Help us in this time we pray. In Christ's name, amen. There he was, King Darius, pacing in his palace bedroom upon hour upon hour, wondering how in the world he was bamboozled into issuing the edict to finalize the decree that no one for a period of 30 days could pray to anyone save the king. So distraught, was he that he refused to eat, be entertained, or even sleep. All of this could have been avoided if he would have been able to detect the jealousy that his administrators had towards his friend Daniel. Now it was sorely too late. He could do nothing to rescue his dear friend from the death penalty. His only hope rested on whether or not his beloved friend could survive a night in the den. In the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel, verses 18 through 23, we are thrust into a pivotal juncture of this well-known story of Daniel and the lion's den. Let us take a moment 
to read it. Daniel 6, verses 18 through 23. I will read in your hearing. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the top of the lion's den. And when he came to the lion's den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the den of lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And arise, O king, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den with no injury, whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. You see, Daniel was a man who was diligent and reliable. His innate loyal character set him apart from other administrators, which enticed the king to promote him over the entire Medes and Persian kingdom, the largest kingdom of the world that had yet seen. This, in turn, rubbed the administrators the wrong way. Consequently, they began to devise a scheme to eliminate him. They searched high and low, but found no fault in him, for he was a man of integrity, leaving them with one option, his loyalty to God. So you see, you have some people here who are jealous, who are envious of one person, and they try to find out in that person's life what is something we can expose? Is he really who we say he is? Is she really who she, who she says she is? Or is it just a joke? So they watched him in his life, and they could find nothing wrong with him, except he always prayed to his God. So they got into their little cahoots in a little circle somewhere and said, let's Pray on that, P-R-E-Y. Let's pray on that. They got into their circle and said, let's make a rule. Let's butter up the king and say, hey, king, you are so awesome. No one should pray to anybody but to you. You are so awesome for 30 days, just one month. And if someone does pray to somebody else, they should be executed. So they went to the king and had a nice way to butter him up. And he was filled with his own pride. He thought it was a good idea. He said, just 
press your signet on this parchment to make it official. And he, when he did that, that's a seal. And they knew we got him. So now Daniel has to either not pray and go, go against his God or go and pray and then suffer the consequences. Or pray in secret. But if you pray in secret, you're still messing with your God. Okay, so they went now to see if Daniel would still open his window and pray in his usual way. And he did. He did. And he said, aha, we got him. They ran to the king and told him, you're the guy who you put over us. He's the wrong guy. He went against your own will, king. You put this guy over us. Look at him. He's going against your own will, your own, your own law. He must suffer the penalty. And now the king realized, I was tricked. I was bamboozled. I was hoodwinked. But the king could not go in reverse. So he said, here's the date that Daniel must now go to the lion's den. So the night before, I mean, the night of, he takes Daniel, he puts him in there, but when Daniel is in that den, he's in his palace, the Bible says he could not sleep. He was pacing in his palace. This is another point here. Money doesn't buy happiness. This guy's in his palace pacing. He's not happy. In his in his crazy palace, probably as big as this whole parking lot. Can't sleep. No music. No food. Leave me alone. Pacing. Hour upon hour. Because he was bamboozled. Early the next morning, he rushed to that den. And he said, oh, Daniel, has the God that, basically, the God that you put over me, was he able to save you? The one he's really asking, did you make the right decision? That's the real question. Daniel, did you make the right decision to pick your God over me? Even though he liked Daniel. And then he waited, and then he heard the response. Oh, king, live forever. Saying, I do respect you, but you're not my God. Catch that, people. Catch that, people. You do respect somebody, but they're not your God. You do like your Mercedes-Benz, but it's not your God. You do like your house on a hill, but it's not your God. You do like your big bank account with all those zeros, but guess what? It's not your God. And he says, my God has shut the lion's mouth. He sent an angel down here. He sent an angel down here. So going back a little bit, when those guys were upset that Daniel was promoted above them, 
and they search his life to see, is he really a Christian of integrity? Check this out. 24-7 verses 7-11. What is that supposed to mean? God wants us to be Christians 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and not only on the seventh day at 11 a.m. See, right now, it's the seventh day, 11 a.m. And we're in here looking real nice, dressed up real nice, smelling good, haircut. But what happened on Tuesday? Am I still nice? I know we can't touch right now, but if it was a regular environment, we'd be hugging each other and we're having a good time in here. But in the weekdays, how do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat? Are you a 24-7 Christian or just a 7-11 Christian? When the lights are on you, that's when you like Jesus. People are watching, so now I must be a Christian, which means while you're in church, you're saying, holy, holy, holy. But during the weekdays, you're saying, demon, demon, demon. <laughs> of all the scripture, there is one verse that is my favorite. All these pages, everybody probably has their own favorite one. But mine is Proverbs 15, verse 3. Proverbs 15, verse 3. I'll wait a second, or you want to go look at it. It's burning to my brain. Proverbs 15, verse 3. And it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Which means God knows if you're a 24-7 Christian or a 7-11 Christian. You can fool Pastor Talay. You can fool me. You can fool the elders. You can fool anybody to say that, you, that we think you are 24-7 when actually you are 7-11. But you cannot fool the Lord. So those guys thought that Daniel was just a 7-11. So he, they wanted to check him out. And they saw, man, he really is 24-7. He really is 24-7. One must be a Christian 24 hours a day and not simply on the seventh day at 11 a.m. Prayer, this is from one of my professors when I was back in the seminary, Jacques Ducan. Prayer should not depend only upon the stirrings of the soul that come and go according to our mood or the quality of the moonlight. Our prayer life must be as much as a part of us as our meals, as our what? Meals, work, and other appointments. Only then will we be strong enough to face the ordeal when it comes. Do you only eat once in a while, once every other day? Uh-uh. More people eat three times a day, some more. Or at least twice, okay? So, and we eat different type of things. We know it's essential for our life. So do we pray only when something happens? 
or do we pray for our sustenance? Point number two, push. How do you spell push? P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. You know, I began with that story that happened to me. First with Rodney King. Then what happened to me? Why? Because of the climate we're going through right now as a nation. And to be blunt with you, because I must tell you, church family, I prayed about this sermon for a long time because what I have to say here, I have to say. We are going through two pandemics. You know that. The one that makes you put on those masks called COVID-19 and the one that caused people to march in the streets called systemic racism, police brutality. Not only that, but how disproportionate black people get health care and get to buy a house and education. Your zip code determines your future. This is rough. So I entitled the message, A Night in the Den, because for 401 years, black folks have been in the night, 1619. And now we're at 2020, 401 years. It has been masked. It has been masked, the, uh, the racism. And as a black man, as a black preacher, I must preach about this. I can't sit back and say, you know what, somebody else would preach about this. I have to. And then, What's even bigger than that, the way to end it is by the ones with the power. You can't ask a, you cannot ask a uh, person who was enslaved to end the slavery. It's the one who are doing that has to end it. Daniel was a man of prayer. He did not pray just when he needed something as if God to him was a genie in a bottle or some sort of Santa Claus. He had a habitual prayer life, which meant that he allowed God to communicate to him as well. Another book I read in the seminary, uh, Rest in the Storm by Kirk Byron Jones, he says this, prayer experienced as a mere monologue with God can be a form of avoiding God. We often end up talking ourselves out of God's presence. We can also dodge God under the guise of devotion by reading and singing without leaving openings for stillness and silence. We may go from song to song, scripture to scripture, without ever taking time to absorb to sit, to wait, to question, or even to doubt. What he's saying here is your prayer life with God can't just be a monologue. You have to talk and then let God respond. Because if your prayer life 
is a monologue, you're actually avoiding God in your life. Could you imagine if I called somebody and they picked their phone up and I talked for a minute and I hung up? What am I doing? Avoiding their response. I call them again. I talk and I just hang up. That's not a conversation. That's a monologue. To have a dialogue with me, and I talk, blah, 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 and I stop, and they, blah, 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 and they talk back, and we go back and forth. But what's the reason why some of us have a monologue prayer with God? What's the reason why? Could it be? Could it be that we don't want to hear what God has to say to us? Could that be the reason? I don't know. Because some of us may pray that type of way to say, I have prayed to God. I checked that box. I'm a good Christian. I've prayed to God. But you haven't prayed. You dictated. If God wants to change you, let him talk to you. This is huge. In those times in our lives, when we go, when the going gets tough, we ought to push, even when the obstacles may seem insurmountable. Still in those times, we ought to push, pray until something happens. Because we can't use God as a genie in a bottle or Santa Claus. When we want something, that's when we go to him. And I've said this throughout my life. True Christianity is revealed in times of prosperity, not times of, of adversity. Because, of course, when you're going through adverse times, you will say, God, help me pay my rent. Lord, help me with my health. Lord, help me with my marriage. But what happens when you're healthy? You have a good job. Your marriage is going well. Are you still praying to God? That's the true test. Of course, when things are going bad, you will pray. Because then you say, Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. But what about when the things are going real good? Are you praying then? We have to think about this. A night in the den. For the entire night, King Darius had to push. He fasted and prayed on behalf of Daniel, aspiring that he would be able to survive a night in the den. At the break of dawn, he rushed to the mouth of the den to see if indeed his prayers had been answered and asked Daniel the question, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to rescue you from the lions? He waits for a response. Then Daniel answers and says, my God has sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent and in sight. Filled with joy was Darius to hear the voice of Daniel. He immediately lifted him out of the den of lions and found that he had no wounds on him. My God was able to shut the lion's mouth. Could you imagine? Because when you are sentenced to go to the lion's den, they have to not feed the lions for a few days. 
because they can't let anything be said. Because if you feed them, there's a, there's a slight chance that the lions might not eat it, eat the person because they've been fed. She had to let them sit with no food for days. And they're walking around, rah, rah, they're hungry. And now you go in there, they'll just jump on you and tear you up. So they have to let those lions have no food. And God is saying, okay, king, you could not feed the lions, but I'm still in control of them. I'm still in control of them. So when they're putting Daniel in that lion's den, God probably said to, to those lions, relax, kitty, kitty. I'll take care of you in the morning. <laughs> How in the world did they not eat Daniel? They're hungry. How in the world? Relax, kitty, kitty. I'll take care of you in the morning. And if you keep on reading in that chapter, you know what happened in the morning? When the king saw that Daniel was alive, he said, come on out. And he said, go get those guys who tricked me. And go get their families, wives and children. So it might have been like 15, 20 people. And then they said, he said, all of you, go inside. Bible says that when they went in there, the lions had mass over there and crushed their bones. But you said, you, you said, why would a king say, bring your wives and children? Because of one reason, retaliation. He can't let Daniel live his life looking like this. Where is the wife of those guys? Where's the son? Uh-uh. It's those guys who were guilty. Let God fight your battles. I will avenge, said the Lord. I will repay. And when you let God take care of your battles, he does it the right way. He does it the right way. So I want to play on that word night. A night in the den. Daniel had to spend a night in the den, but God sent a night in the den. Daniel spent an N-I-G-H-T in the den, but God sent a K-N-I-G-H-T in the den to say, lions, relax. And those lions just have relaxed and slept. Daniel probably pet them. He probably rode on their back. You don't know what he did. You don't know why he at first, I would think he was scared going in, of course. At first, you know, oh my goodness, fine, whatever, lions. But after a while, he knew God was with them. They're like, they're like cats, little cats. God can take care of your problem. The problem is when we try to do God's job, we tell God we're God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. So if you're God, then, then what? Then who's God for you? Who's God in your life? You're the God? So you can take us up to heaven? My Lord. My Lord. Let's just be careful as we go through this life. You know, when I think it's Psalms 90, 
he says that uh, all we're dealing with are three score and ten, and four score if, our, if we have strong bones, et cetera, is about 80 years. And so somewhere around there, some go to 90, some go to 100, some go to 110. But usually it's around those 80-ish time of when you say, okay, your body is done. So these few years, I say few because you cannot count how long eternity is. I want to make you think about this. I've told my students this time and time again. So picture I'm in a classroom, and I have my little marker to write on the board. And you know like when you go to a funeral or cemetery, you'll see the person's name, John Doe. It'll say like he lived from 1844 to 1902. But between those two numbers is a little hyphen. Okay, so that hyphen, that's about an inch long, is his whole life. Birth, kindergarten, eighth grade, 12th grade, college, marriage, career, uh, parent, uh, grandparent, all right? All the different things happen, okay? Promotions, whatever happens, all that happened in his life is about an inch long to show for it. But God is saying this, hey, give me that much, and I will give you this much. And I will write on the board a line that never ends. You understand that? Put in your mind that. Put in your mind that. Because I look at my mom's little car. She passed away uh, this past year, and I look at her card, and, and it has that little hyphen. So God's like, give me those years, and I'll give you a line that never ends. On top of that, there's no aches and pains, no vision problem, no diabetes, no cancer. There's no COVID-19. There's, there's nothing, no racism. There's nothing in there. Just my presence and your presence. Stop and think for a moment. Is that a fair exchange? Give Jesus those 80 years, those 90 years, those 30 years, and he'll give you unlimited years. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. The Lord is asking for us to put him first. And though you may have a night in the den, he will send a night in the den. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together in church. It was difficult today, Lord, but uh, I said what I felt you told me to say. Help us, Lord, to do the best that you have shown us to do. Help us, Lord, to love one another because if we can't love one another, who we can see, how can we say we love one who we can't not see? Help us, Lord, we do pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. out by the ushers as this music is being played. Happy Sabbath. Hope to see you next week.
insurrection of the workers of iniquity. in 